coming soon on Beyond the Zero, the World Cup of Books. All your favourite books go head-to-head to, head to crown the ultimate winner. This epic tournament will be played on Instagram and Twitter. The top 32 seeds will be announced shortly. Stay tuned to Beyond the Zero for all the details, and as always, gamble responsibly. Before we begin today's episode with Ben Shaw, we will announce the winner of our Grim Short Story competition. First, we cross live to New York to our US correspondent, Kim, who will read out our shortlisted entries. Welcome to the show, Kim. Oh, thank you for having me. I love being part of anything that's idiotic, creative, and entertaining. Are you ready to read out our first entry? Absolutely, I would love to. This story is Clinical Pop by Expat. UDL Vodka Mixed Berry Zero Sugar is not for everyone. Start by admitting that you're a sensitive type. Everybody has an odour, but what if a certain person breaks wind and it smells like anxiety? And you can no longer pretend that you and he are anything other than two animals living on a fault line in a cramped masonry box with no money for the flight home. UDL Vodka Mixed Berry Zero Sugar is the opposite of that. Tastes exactly like a mixed berry, but also like an engineer's idea of berry. Input by a punch card to a computer. It's being alone at a Shibuya karaoke dungeon, only if it was clean at 2pm, just to get some space from him, some oxygen, and belting Kylie's overproduced late career hits until your voice gives out. Karaoke's meant for friends, but yours are 8,000 kilometres away and you don't speak the local language. And besides, another person would ruin the sterility, and it wouldn't be zero. Sometimes you fantasise about being the last of your species. If that ever happens for real, you will drink UDL Vodka Mixed Berry Zero Sugar. That is a great start. I really felt that engineered mixed berry on my tongue when I spoke it. All right, let's move on to number two. Yes, let's do that. This story is called Jelly Beans by Courtney. I'm 16 years old and the jelly bean machine is crying out for release as I struggle to turn the oddly shaped handle. Across the bowling alley are four beautiful men in different coloured suits. The machine refuses to cooperate with me, but I can't concentrate as I stare at the men who are sharing whiskey. One of them makes eye contact with me and we don't let go for at least two minutes. The clanging of bowling balls striking pins gets louder until I get dizzy. I turn my head to see a queue form behind me as a few kids wait patiently for me to get myself some jelly beans. The creaking of the cogs sound just like my internal screaming. I daydream about what would happen if I got that man alone. Where would he take me? Looking over, I see that he's missing. His glass remains untouched. Suddenly, I feel a firm hand on mine. It's him. He whispers something in my ear, which I miss, and walks back to this table. Finally, jelly beans fall into the palm of my hand. That is a very strong entry. Yes, definitely. A little creepy, but, you know, definitely strong. All right, let's do number three. This story is by Jake from Adelaide, South Australia. 
I hated this drink. More than I hated my dead mother? Hard to say. She was a callous woman prone to fits of rage and dour silence. Her painted scowl often made me wonder whether I'd been plucked from the neonatal unit by a fatigued nurse and handed to the wrong mother. There's a photo of us from when I was about two years old. Mum smiling and handing me a half-unwrapped present, coloured wooden blocks, while the gaze from my chubby disinterested face has wandered from her and the cheap gift. The scene always makes me wonder whether things were somehow my fault. There are other memories. I vaguely remember her holding me, kissing me softly on the forehead, and telling me I was her special little boy. It's these moments I strain to focus on, when she was soft and tender and bursting with life, much like this Shiraz. I really like this one. What did you think? I like this one and I like how um, it really kind of took me along in this story um, and then just kind of led me into the Shiraz. Thank you so much, Kim. We now cross live to Melbourne to Michael Winkler to announce the winner. Welcome back, Michael. Thanks very much for having me, Ben. What did you think of story number one? Well, it's magnificent, isn't it? Um, I don't know if you've ever broken wind and it smells like anxiety, Ben, but um, I think that uh, if you were the last of your species, that is exactly the way it would go. All right. What do you think of story number two? I don't know what to say, Ben. I, I, I was picturing Harry Dean Stanton uh, playing, playing the man, and uh, I think that Harry Dean Stanton would, would disappear in those circumstances. Um, yeah. I remember those jelly bean machines where you'd have to turn the silver handle and sometimes it would uh, take you 20 cents and it would disappear, and uh, that was pretty disappointing. Uh, lovely story. <laughs> I'm particularly fond of that one. I think it's just... Uh, it's innocent and funny and i like it all right let's do number three what did you think did you read uh, george saunders book about the the russian short story writers no i haven't read that well i I think i think george would would do a lot with uh with with that story I, i think that um i think the russians would be happy with it i hated this drink more than i hated my dead mother is a pretty great opening (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what I think, Ben. They are three quality stories, and I, I love the concept of a gorilla short story competition. I, I think it's genius, and, um, yeah, uh, it should drive more people to literature, if not to drink. <laughs> Which do you think is the winner? Oh, well, that's why, that's why I defer to people like you. Um, <laughs> honestly... Uh, out of the three, I've got a really soft spot for number three. But honestly, I think that that as the person inspiring this competition with the bloody sherry in your book, I think you should be the <laughs> one who makes this final choice. All right. Well, I think they're all outstanding. Let's go with, with number three. Jake from South Australia. I hated this drink more than I hated my dead mother. Um, I think it's... It, it, it does a lot with very few words. And, uh, yes, I raise my glass of Royal Reserve Sherry yeah, in his direction. Perfect. Well, I will get in touch with Jake and we'll make sure that he gets a signed copy of Grimish and probably some Royal Reserve Sherry as well. 
I think it would be uh, the, the right thing to do. <laughs> flagon, a flagon. <laughs> Second prize, two flagons. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I so appreciate you being involved in this madness. It has been so much fun. Yeah, it is mad. It is fun. And uh, I, I just hope that you can keep using your genius for good rather than evil, Ben. <laughs> thanks once again to Michael and Kim, and thanks to everybody who entered the competition. Now it's time for the show. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 19 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Ben Shaw. Ben is a host of the Bookshaw channel on YouTube, and he joins us from his home in California. Welcome to the show, Ben. Hey, what's going on, Ben? <laughs> so nice to have another Ben on the show. Yeah, there's a lot of Bens on Instagram, I noticed also. <laughs> <laughs> I've really enjoyed watching your videos on Bookshaw. How did you get into the world of booktubing? Oh, thanks. Well, um, the, <laughs> the short, sad answer was, was that I was lonely and had nobody to talk about books with. <laughs> but um, no, I made an Instagram because I... None of my friends like read like I do or anything like that. Um, most people don't read over here. I went to a book a bookstore in LA that was big. And even the guy there was like, "Yeah, nobody reads." I'm like, "Oh, that's disappointing." Um, so I started an Instagram and I was single and I was talking to like this one girl who has a really big book account trying to date her and that didn't fall through at all. So then after that, I was like, "Yo, I have nobody to talk about books with." So I just made a YouTube account and. It's funny, I, I didn't, ex- I, I thought I was going to just be making videos into the void for like a, two, three years and maybe get a comment, but like the reception has been really great. And then when I found the Instagram book community, I just found all these really cool, strong readers out there. So it was really nice just to, um, just to find this community and have people I can talk about books and reading the same books that I'm reading as well and not just like young adult fiction. Yeah, it's such a good community on on Twitter and Instagram as well. Like it's uh, the readers out there and the people who are passionate about books. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting too because like when I first got on, like I was looking at all these people and what they've read and everything. I'm like, oh my god, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like these people have read so many stronger books um, than I have, and and now it's kind of shifting where I, I've noticed what people are like really interested in. But I have to say, and that's just been a which which I've had to get used to because like um there's people on here like um Christopher Robinson um who's big whole H N W on Instagram like you know looking at him and everything and hearing that like oh yeah I've read Finnegan's Wake twice so I'm like oh my god <laughs> so just like these there's this crazy strong or people like Leaf by Leaf just crazy strong readers out there but it's it's really fun to be a part of this community and inspires me just to like do better in my own reading as well. Your choices for Bookshaw are really interesting. They're, they're so diverse. And how do you go about choosing those books? Because they're all very different. Oh, thanks. I, I don't really think they're that diverse personally, but maybe just because we read everything by the same author. <laughs> just kind of tunnel visage a little bit. Um, I've had this dumb habit where, like, when I started reading, I would, I would go onto a little, like, top 10 list or stuff like that and find the most difficult books I could, I could read out there. Like, 
Um, and so when I run on Instagram and like, I find people talking about these other big giant works, um, you know, I just kind of gravitate towards those, but like, also like I had a little marathon of just like erotica and I am a big fan of erotica stuff. Like, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the manga Itchy the Killer. No. It was, it was made into a movie by um, Takashi Miike. And it's just really <laughs> violent, grotesque um, manga about like y- y- Yakuza. And like, but it's like, it's like this weird, like sexual hitman in there and everything. That was like the first thing that kind of led me into like the erotica stuff and everything. And then luckily with stuff like Marquise de Sade, I was able to find more um, uh, transgressive erotic literature. And so, you know, just kind of stuff like that just kind of led me into that. I kind of deviated from the original question a little bit. There, <laughs> <laughs> what's the book that I saw you recently talking about, which is the most expensive book you've bought? Oh man. Okay, so um, let me let me rewind it back a little bit too. So, Bicycat on Instagram, he was mentioned in some Leaf by Leaf videos. Um, he he was the man, and he gave me um two free McElroy books. Plus, Plus and Smuggler's Bible. And that kind of set me off a macro marathon. So he, I was already in really good faith with that guy. And then he posts like, hey, this book is on eBay. And there's only 200 copies of it in English. And he kind of softly encouraged me to buy it. Um, I say softly because it didn't take that much encouragement from me. So I bought it. And it was a, what it is, it's um, The Disconnected by Jose Ake. And the funny thing, oh, I remember when I write, I'm not a total idiot about it. Um, the website, The Untranslated, um, earlier that year, I saw it where he talked about it's the Turkish Ulysses. And I just remember like, man, I'm not, translated about all these wonderful books that are not translated to English. And I was so disappointed that like, there's a book out there that's like the Turkish Ulysses that I'm not able to read. So when I saw this one on eBay <laughs> for 600, I'm like, oh, you know, I had a thought like it's like for, for, that's for like a personal book. That's almost too too much money and everything. I never spent the most I ever spent on a book was like 100, 130. I think right before that, Bottom's Dream came up um, was the most expensive book I bought at 130. But I had the idea of just to um, scan it in, um, kind of like again back to manga, how people like do these scanlations and they translate and everything, or um, so I thought, like, you know, why don't I just scan this in so um, everybody can have access to it? Because it's been years and nobody, um, ha- there's no new reprint or reproduction or anything like that. So I, I, I <laughs> used that as a justification to drop some serious coin on it. And um, I'm glad I did. The reception's been really well. And it turns out it's one of my favorite books now as well. It's a really beautiful book. Okay. Very interesting. I was so curious to read about it because I'd never heard of it. And when I saw you with your YouTube channel talking about it, it, yeah, I went and did some investigation as well. And yeah, very hard to get and sounds very interesting. Yeah. And the the cool thing about it too, was that um, I I was kind of worried about copyright and everything. (laughs) I was like, like, Oh man. But like, it's funny. Once I bought it, everybody in out of the world came, it was like, Oh yeah, I bought this book for like a hundred dollars or less when they, it was first being sold by the publisher. I'm like, what? But um, I'm, I'm actually going to do an interview later this month with a Instagram guy, Maxwell Lawton. Um, he's actually working on a new translation of the book, and we're going to talk about that later this month as well. 
Very exciting. Yeah, I think I was going to have Max on here as well. That's pretty cool. Oh, nice, nice. We'll, we'll double podcast then, yeah. Yeah, very <laughs> you'll have, cool. You'll have, a, you'll have an interview by Ben, another interview by Ben as well. Who <laughs> confuses Ben's. Yeah. <laughs> I will say um, I was listening to some friends on this podcast and like um, Ryan Farrell and everything and um, oh, um, Maya's Metafiction. And every time they said Ben, it would just trip me out. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me about um, Bottom's Dream as well? Yeah. Um, so I'm always like, I haven't finished Finnegan's Wake yet. I got like 30 pages in, but I've always thought like, there's got to be like another book. Like I always have the thought process that like, there's so many writers in the world. Some the most difficult writing just can't be within like English fiction. And Bottom's Dream kind of proved that point to me. I mean, it's still European, but like, it's this huge 1,300-page tome that um, it's just written pretty much in the style of Finnegan's Wake. And we're lucky enough to have like a really good translator, John E. Woods. I was just talking about him yesterday because he translated the, the Magic Mountain by Thomas Mann. Um, and yeah, 1,300 pages of like just Joycean language. <laughs> and I wanted to read it this year, actually. It was going to be like a secret surprise. But then I read the first paragraph and I was like, yo, I can't make any appeals with this. <laughs> and um, I spoke to Leaf by Leaf, like, hey, man, how do I read this book? And he's like, okay, well, you want to buy this um, alternate compendium with it as well. And it's going to take you three months. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. I'll read it another time. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any books you plan to review but have to dump because they were too shitty or didn't hit the mark for you? The answer, well, yeah, the answer should have been Vitz, to be honest. Um, I don't know if you saw my review of that. I just released yeah, it last did. week. Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, what, what did you think of the, the video I did on that? I like the video. I, I'm, I guess I'm a bit different to you because the book itself I enjoyed when I read it. So I, I liked your review of it, and I can see why you thought what you thought. I'm glad you enjoyed it because I don't want people to read 800-page books they don't enjoy, but I... I just did not enjoy that book. <laughs> so <laughs> I think with, with that and Women and Men, I'm a pretty, I, had a, I don't have enough time for a lot of books in my TV. Like I really wanted to do um, Larva and Midsummer's Night Dream this year. But I think I read a few pages of that, but I think I'm going to go back and read some earlier Julian Dios on that and um, stuff like Dragon Jules Cat and whatnot. And um, Man Without Qualities, um, like try, trying to, finished the McAvoy marathon and women and men really put things off for like a for a little while <laughs> so with with wits conceptually i think it's really interesting i think as yes. you said language wise i think it's really interesting but i think looking at it as another version of a, of a kind of a holocaust where jewish culture is looked upon in this uh museum almost i think that for me was a, just a really interesting way of looking at uh, how culture can be reduced into standpoints and and events and things like that. So I think that uh, as far as things go, like being the last Jewish person on earth, the reduction of of whatever that culture means, I found really interesting. And I think that that's something that there's there's a certain dilution of of culture and ethnicity and things like that in the world we live in. So I thought. In terms of that uh, concept, I thought it was just really interesting and 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 quite um, played out to a degree that I didn't think it could be. 
Hmm, interesting. Those um, the book Sign and Simulacra has this line like that where they talk about how anthropologists kind of kill culture because once the anthropologist starts to like, um, you know, analyze and do those studies and like papers on it, like it's almost like the culture is not allowed to grow anymore. So mm. yeah, I I can see that. I didn't, um, you know, that's probably something I might have missed a little bit in the book and everything. I still wouldn't, but then I chose to enjoy it personally. But no, that's really cool, and I and I and I liked how you got that other book. I I because my opinion, listen, with these big books and everything, my opinion is not going to be the final say whatsoever. So I love hearing other people's opinions on it. Well, that's what I like about your videos as well, because they they do differ quite a lot. Like Samuel Samuel Delaney is someone who um, I like Dalgren, but Hog I really struggled with. It's just something that <laughs> was a uh, it was a slog, I have to say, and I didn't enjoy it. Really interesting. <laughs> Does slog have a different meaning in Australia, or no? <laughs> no, it was, it's a tricky book, and it's uh, I think content-wise, it was uh, hard to read at times. Yeah, it's funny because like, um, um, just so your viewers know, I'm friends with Delaney, and like when I was talking to him about that before I read it, he's like, "If you want, you can skip all the sex scenes." <laughs> and like reading that book like dude i would have skipped the whole book <laughs> like what kind of what kind of advice is that and like um yeah so yeah and delaney is really interesting that too because like the second half of his career is so different from the first half but like i really appreciate like i actually enjoy those books a lot um not just on a conceptual level like um, show Rumbling's gonna come back in my top 10 list later. I love that book. It was my favorite book of last year and maybe even my favorite book of this year as well. Um, but like, I think the nice thing is, is like, even if you um, find stuff like Hog, like a, a slog and everything like that, which is totally fine. I think on a nice thing, it's like on a conceptual level, it's cool to have authors who are just so willing to put this kind of stuff to the page and it just kind of. Um, it's it's almost like when you listen to like avant-garde music and some of it's just kind of like, well, what are you trying to get out here? You're playing a bicycle right now. But what it's really doing is also opening up the scope of what music can be. And and that's what I like about Delaney's fiction and later half it does that. But I also like it just from uh, on a very genuine level as well. Yeah, I think he's he's very interesting. I have to read more of him because I think I've only read those two, Dalgren and Hogg. But he's somebody who is definitely he's challenging and he does push boundaries and he does make you read stuff in a, in a different kind of way. Yeah. And like that's kind of reflective of his life in a lot of ways too. He has a lot of books on his life and I'm um, talking about stuff he went through. It's always kind of amazing where like, I just kind of like, he just kind of, when you talk to him, it's just kind of unassuming and stuff like that. But like, you just talk to him and it's like, dude, how'd you do so much through your life? Or how'd you have so many experiences? Like, like was was that time period so much different from ours? But um, yeah, he's just had a wide range of scope, and you know, a lot of the transgressive elements and stuff like that, you know, kind of go back into his early life. I I really want to read his book, um, the shape of light and water, um, because I think he talks a lot about that stuff and everything, his experiences and whatnot. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Ben Shaw. This week's episode is brought to you by the new children's book, Where's Peng Shui? 
available now at all good book retailers. We're back on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Ben Shaw. Let's get on to your gateway book. What was the book that opened up the world of literature for you? I could actually point it down to like a class in college. Um, I didn't, I was not a big reader in like high school and stuff like that. I played a lot of video games. <laughs> I spent way too much um, time until like Monster Hunter Freedom and Pokemon Diamond. <laughs> and, but like I took a class in college um, called Philosophy and Literature where we read a lot of these books and like i like i started to notice um like that's how i came into the postmodernist genre because i kept getting books and that i liked and i kept noticing they all had the postmodernist like genre attached to them which is a wide genre not the most helpful all the time but so i went for that but the books in that class um uh, the, the two i can really point it down to would be um Huki murakami's hall for one land at the end of the world which um, my channel might be known a little bit for not liking Murakami whatsoever anymore. <laughs> um, I was talking to somebody about this last night where it's like, like which Murakami book should I read? Like, it doesn't matter. The first, you read the first two, those would be your favorite and everything else would be the same after that. <laughs> but um, that class was also where I read, first read um, Luis Borges and his book, um, Tome, the short story. Uh, I always forget how to say the name because it's crazy. I didn't understand it, but when I read the Wikipedia page afterwards, I was like, it just blew my mind. And after that, I just really, we read a lot of board haste in that class. We read um, The Circle, we read The Firing Squad one, which I skipped on my assignment because I was busy. <laughs> and then we read, um, uh, oh, the, the, the Labyrinth with like the library and everything, which I didn't finish that one, but I read that later. But, um, but like reading board haste, because it was like, you know, just, it's just 10 page short stories and just so, densely packed and have these wildly crazy cool concepts and it's like I wanted to get that high again and then um I remember in my class like w one of my last classes I mentioned Virginia Woolf and like um James Joyce with the Ulysses and so it's, and it just seems so dark and mysterious that I wanted to get to it and um Thomas Pynchon Pynchon's actually funny because he was pop he popped up consistently in my life so have you ever heard of the band Thrice? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I love that band. Um, the album Visu was based off um, the book V. So I was like, I thought that was really interesting. And then I remember seeing a trailer for um, Inherent Vice in the theater. And I was like, I got to watch this movie. And then um, it said Thomas Pynchon again. And then I heard about Gravity's Rainbow in college. So, you know, he just kept popping up through my life. Like, I just got to read this dude. And I, I eventually read all of his books <laughs> and, um, and I'm really glad I did because he's still one of my favorite authors and he was just such a, um, and like, I think after I read all the Thomas Pynchon, like the floodgates were kind of like open and I, because it, don't get me wrong, it's not like I picked up Pynchon and understood him immediately. I was reading Gravity's Rainbow, like, what is happening? And then I read Crying a Lot 49 in the middle, I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> it wasn't until I got like 200 pages into Mason and Dixon, what like I got him and I and I, I love Pynchon because he led me into like adulthood I would say where when I first started him I was um living with my mom in and like just out of college and then when I finished him I had my first apartment and I was like doing my day job what I do now and everything like that so it was a very it was like it was like having him along for like a very um important transitional period in my life 
And so he's always going to be special to me in that regard. What's your favorite Pinchon book? Mason and Dixon. So good. Yeah, which Pinchons have you read? All of them, so, yeah. Nice, nice. There's you like me, yeah. 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 Um, which, what's your favorite one? I, I change my mind every time someone asks me, but <laughs> I'd say the Mason and Dixon, Against the Day, and Gravity's Rainbow would be the top three for me. But, yeah. Nice. But I, I think I went back and read Inherent Bias this year, and I've, yeah, I just, his work is just so good, and there's so much to it. And you can just keep going back to it. it it's yeah, Van Hand Vice was so. I wish I, I wish that was my first one because that was so funny. Like you don't get all the historical stuff and whatnot, but like you you really get a good idea of his structure in a digestible way. And it's funny because I, I I'm not saying the movie was bad, but like the movie was so subdued. When when I feel like reading the book, it has so much energy and like life to it and everything that the movie just kind of gets away. Yeah, I'm getting rid of. Yeah, I I really like the movie, but I think I like the movie because I really like the book a lot. And uh, I think it's the first thing really that's been adapted from any Pinchon work. So I think that just seeing that on screen was was a blast for me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, the, I had a funny thing. Um, I saw that at my friend's house and because <laughs> I, I saw it after I finished all the Pinchon and um when we were watching it, he was like, he just looked at me in the middle of the movie, like, God damn, man, why are there so many characters in this movie? <laughs> and like, I'm like, I'm like, hey, man, if it helps, they, they cut out a lot of characters from the book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on to what you're currently reading or you've recently enjoyed and what you're looking forward to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, right now I'm going to do a little a mini gas marathon. Um, I started Olmstead is Luck. I'm on page 200. I took a break this weekend. I just needed to rest my mind from like the bits <laughs> um, book and everything. But my plan is that I'm going to read um, Olmsteader's Luck. Um, oh God, I forgot the title of the other name. Something Fire Country or whatever. And then I'm going to try to finish um, the tunnel within this month as well. Um, I'm, I'm kind of falling into a habit of just like marathoning authors. Uh, the Macquarie Marathon was like really well received and I don't, I don't know, it's kind of like what I did with music as well, where like if I get into a band, I just really have trouble getting into one album of theirs. I like to check out like the whole discography and everything like that. So, you know, lucky with gas, the tunnel's only 600 pages. Um, so, we, 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 you know, which compared in the scope of Vix and Women and Men just doesn't seem like a lot. So it's, I figured, I could, and Delaney told me I need to read like two other books or so before I read um, the tunnel. So I'm, I'm just doing a mini marathon this month. I think next month I'm just gonna read Parallel Stories by um, Nadas. I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, I think that would be a nice one to read because even though it's 1,100 pages, it's not gonna. The language doesn't seem as intensive, and it's just gonna be nice to like dive into a book that um, I don't have to worry too much about language and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. What are you gonna review next? Um. Well, I have um. Oh, th thanks for asking me. So I have a friend, um, Nick Voro, I hope I said his name right, um, on Instagram. Um, he's helping me get a lot of rare um, Joseph McElroy short stories. So I'm probably going to do Olmstead as luck if I can finish it today or tomorrow. And probably that'll come out Tuesday, Wednesday this week, which does not matter if you're listening to this podcast before. So Olmstead as luck. And then I have a lot of um, 
short stories by McElroy to do that are very rare. Just like, like he's going to like, he's like asking libraries and like um, people who have like these magazines to like give them to me. So they're going to be like, um, and the only way he found them is because of McElroy's own public bibliography. So they're not in any public collection right now or anything like that. So I'm going to be reading those. Um, I have to read some Sorkin so I can interview uh, Maxwell Lawson as well. Um, but um, yeah, just just pretty much that for right now. Um, for, do you mind if I talk about next year a little bit? No, go for it. Please do. So this year I scheduled, mind if I talk about next year? So this year, <laughs> so this year I scheduled, um, had a big, had a TBR list that didn't fall through too well. So next year, what I'm deciding to do is just kind of go with my own inclinations and everything. I have some big books that I'm keeping in secret that I want to review for sure next year. But um, one thing I really want to do, and I've been wanting to do it for years, is break away from the Western canons. So, for example, like I've, I've been listening to a lot of um, lectures on um, Africa. And, you know, I, I want to read a lot of books from Africa, stuff like with Ethiopia, where I find out they've been a Christian nation way before Africa has been even colonized. And they have some of the oldest um, Christian monuments out there. You know, st stuff like that really interests me. Or oh, I read that book on Rwanda um, earlier this year, and it would just be kind of curious for me to kind of read like the before and after literature of that event of Rwanda. Like, you know, what was going, how was the writing style then, and how did that the this Holocaust kind of influence the writing style later as well? Um, I, I want to be wary though, because I'm sure as you kind of notice with Jewish lit, when people talk about it, it's like, oh, I want to read more Jewish literature. And they just buy books on the Holocaust when Jewish literature incorporates so much more than that. So that's just something I need to be um, careful of as well. But, um, you know, and like reading Ozeite from Turkey, I knew nothing about Turkey. So I, I just kind of want to, it's like the feeling when I look at a map and I see all these countries I know nothing about, I just kind of want to go and explore books from those different countries um, and it just, just see what's out there. Just, just experiment. Just really, a lot more experimenting for myself in that sense. Okay, bit of exploration via literature. I like it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's tough talking about like ethnic literature too. I touched on this earlier, but like, you know, one thing like with Delaney, he's a black author, but he doesn't necessarily like it's that it's that whole what is black literature, what is Jewish literature, Mexican literature, where it's like you know, yeah, he's a black author, and he, you know, his books are inspired by his experience, but like. He's not writing about civil rights or even necessarily black characters within the novel. But then when people talk about, like, oh, I want to read black literature, they always go to like James Baldwin and stuff like that. It's like, okay, black literature has to be about either civil rights or slavery. And just kind of like I mentioned earlier with Jewish literature, it has to be like about the Holocaust or something like that. Those are very important events to study and analyze, but it also kind of sucks to pigeonhole like uh, ethnic groups to like just two events or so in like history mm, yeah no i completely agree i think it's there's so many categories of literature and so many ethnicities within literature it's really hard to categorize what makes something a jewish book or a black book or anything like that because i think there's exactly there's complete diversity within literature yeah and it's just like um, um, um when you really get into it like putting these tracks are like um become very arbitrary really quickly <laughs> right. like um 
<laughs> like, are you going to call hog black literature, <laughs> for example? <laughs> yeah, uh, that book's pretty unclassifiable, really. Yeah, I yeah, <laughs> I, I still like I still I still really like that book. It was pretty cool, but um, I think the 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 better book to that one would, would be Short Rumbling because that book was a has a lot of the same transgressive elements, but it was a lot more wholesome. Which sounds contradictory, but if you read the book, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Ben Shaw. Happy cows make the best tasting beef. We make our cows extra tasty by feeding them the highest quality pure Californian wheat. Check us out at highsteaks.com. We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time to hear Ben's top 10. This is going to be in no particular order. I, the, the last two were kind of tough. I couldn't think of the bottom few. So I'm probably going to go, I was going to do Story of the Eye, but I'm probably going to go with um, The Plot Against America. Um, that was also a really important book, given like the previous president we had here. And it kind of did a good, a good view of how like um, these, because you know, Jew- Jewish violence increased in America during the Trump presidency. And I think this book actually showed a great, was a, was a great example of how that happens. Um, and also, it was just like a perfect novel. Like, damn, I, structurally, I don't think there was anything wrong with the novel. And like, e- even though it was a novel with Roth um, inserted himself and his family into, into like an alternate history, the beautiful thing was, is like, he was a kid who was just, who you felt he was directly involved with everything that's going on. And he does a smart thing where he focuses on his family. He doesn't really focus on himself, which I wish was in bits a bit more. <laughs> but um, next was going to be um, Lanark by Alistair Gray. That book was a very difficult book for me to read. Not because it was a tough book, but because throughout the novel, I just kept reading about myself, it felt like. And like there's a line where they said, like, what do you think about this guy's um, past? I was like, well, it looks like he had a really tough time being happy. And I was like, damn, that, <laughs> these personal attacks are not fun right now. Um, and here's what, like, this becomes pretty easy. And it's probably not going to be that much interesting of a top 10 list because this is going to be all the greatest hits. But um, The Disconnected by Jose K. I was really happy that the $600 book <laughs> was actually really good. And despite what people say about the translation, it was probably the most beautiful book I read about male friendship which is such an important um thing to me because uh it just seems like male friendship's not really that talked about that, that much in literature even in movies and stuff like that um so the, and, it, and also it, it just plays so many fun literary games as well and the writing style is beautiful and just the interpersonal relations with the novel I just loved so the next one and this is what like it kind of goes out of order it's going to be The Fog Cemetery by Umberto Eco. This book was so important to me um, because it talks about the creation of the Protocols of Zion. And I, again, read this during the Trump administration, and this book was all about fake news and how fake news proliferates everything, how, in- how intentional it's the intentionality behind fake news, and unfortunately, how profitable fake news is as well. And it never says that it's 
the main characters writing this protocol to Zion. But then I looked it up and I saw that it was, and I even asked my dad about it. And he's like, oh, because yeah, like I had people try to like have me read that book when I was growing up. Like, you know, I heard about it all my life. There was even one guy, he was like, you know, you're a smart guy. Have you heard of this book? It's like, yeah, I heard about it and I don't want to read it. Um, so, and then like looking at how like Ford disseminated that book in America and, and how, how it was in a Mein Kampf and just, yeah, it was just like, like here's how fake news, here's how it's profitable and here's how it's so damaging. So Prague Cemetery, even though it's an international book bestseller, I feel like that's a book that should really be read a lot more because uh, just the message behind it and how it, most of the characters are in the book are real historical characters. It's an important book to really understand these concepts. Um, the next book is another book that hit home and I read, read it the same year as Prague Cemetery. It would be White Noise by DeLillo. Beautiful book. Another book that has a really good representation about um, male fairness. And also, I feel like it's kind of like the perfect postmodern book. Um, there's a line where it's something to the effect like these words and um, without meaning anymore, like these empty structures. And I really think that sums up a lot of postmodernism and DeLillo as well, where we think we know the definite meaning to these things and, and these concepts and even these words that we look at in reality. But when we actually take a look at them, the, the definitions are very loose and at times can be very um, vague. And so an example in the book is that like, there's this um, cloud that's made out of chemical that might kill him in the future. His wife's taking a medication and it kind of goes back to the thing like, what is really chemicals? Or what, what is, you know, before they used to things that would kill us, but now they're things that can help us as well. And, and just kind of like really ruminating on all these definitions. Um, next one, what I explained earlier would be Fictiones by Borges. Um, if not just for the story um, told by itself, it's a beautiful story. Another just classic postmodern book that if anybody's into the genre should definitely read. Um, and just all these crazy concepts. <laughs> um, after that is um, Short Rumbling. I love that book. Um, even beyond it, like it allowed me to talk to Samuel Delaney himself. Um, it was just such a refreshing, even though I wouldn't want to do any of the sex acts in the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> like it was just such a refreshing and wholesome take on transgressive sexuality. I, somebody called him post-transgressive. And I think that's a beautiful term. And it was, it was nice just to read something like, no, this is what I like. This is what I want to do. And, you know, that's okay. And also while doing these sexually violent acts, um, still being able to separate it from sexual violence. There's a scene where show the main character is sexually viol violated and it's without his consent. And it's taken as a very serious act and they go to the hospital. And, and so seeing these delineations and makes the book, places the book in a lot more of the human world and it's just it's such a beautiful book. I, I recommend, even though it's like hog in a lot of sense, I really, really recommend people reading this book. I, I appreciate it. Um, the next one, which is the book that I put next to um, Gravity's Rainbow and Ulysses in terms of concept and difficulty, would be um, Lookout Cartridge by Joseph McAvoy. That book blew my mind. And it was like my sixth or fifth book by McElroy, fifth book by McElroy. 
Um, and it was just the last 100 pages of that book, which is transcendental. McElroy took this concept of process and thought and how we think about things and how we discover things. And he took it to the nth degree, which I've seen no other writer do. Um, and it's just such an incredible, it's a difficult book. I have to reread it. But so many concepts of that book of like, like the fact that um, there's so many things in our world that we don't understand or we don't have the answer to, but we still have to live our lives and we still have to make conclusions based off this information that we don't have all the information for. Um, and so I, I love that book. It was incredible. Um, that's number eight, correct? Yeah. Cool. So for the next book, I'm going to do a little different. It's going to be James Joyce. I love Ulysses. I love all of Joyce. Uh, I still have to read Finnegan's Wake. But I'm actually going to go with Dublinders. Um, just because I had such a stronger emotional response to that book. I read it um, after co college. Um, I was trying to read Ulysses, but it was way too much for me. Uh, so I, I read Dublinders and A Portrait of an Artist. And I think with Dublinders, I always kind of say that book was like, therapy to me because it had all of my adult fears in that book <laughs> like fear of complacency fear of like getting into a marriage that you know there might not be that love to fear of like not doing anything successful in your life or um fear of like hey maybe the best moments were in the past and not in adulthood um luckily a lot of those fears haven't manifested in my life so <laughs> um the marriage thing i still have plenty of time to get into a dead end marriage for but um that book was just so beautiful and just so heart-wrenching to read. And my two favorite stories from that book that always just stick with me was um, Little Cloud about um, a person who never really left his hometown and he's married. And, he, you know, he sees his friend who's in Paris. And so he's like, well, you know, I, I have this life. I'm married and you don't have that. But then it's like, I never became an author. I never did this. And then just kind of seeing that his wife, maybe she doesn't really love him that much. And seeing that like oh god no this is my life i'm i have a kid now i'm, I'm kind of trapped here and just that kind of feeling of like am i really going to accomplish what i want in life and then and then like you know the story the dead which just an absolute masterpiece of a short story and just the saddest ending possible <laughs> so terrible news was a novel that really hit home for me in a large way and for my last and number one novel, it would be Infinite Jest, right? No, I'm just kidding. It's going to be um, Mason and Dixon by Thomas Pynchon. I, I think that novel just has everything I want in a novel. Like the language, I just drool over. It's just some of my favorite language out there. All these fun little dissertations and just goofy stuff and just hard-hitting realism. Like that scene where he sees that um, the Indian village that was slain and everything like that. And how he's just so mad at the people, how desperately he just wants to pray for them and everything. And just like, just give some sort of human element to this vicious slaughter. But he can't because if he goes down and pray, the village, the white villagers are going to see him and probably kill him as well. And just so, just really rough human stuff like that next to like Native Americans doing the Star Trek symbol or stuff like that. Or, or like that scene where he goes into like, an alternate um, timeline when the, the calendar changes and there's all those monsters and or the mechanical duck. And so it's, it's just, a, even if he combines all these elements, it's 
really, I think, the best novel ab about America. And one of my favorite passages in all of literature were, you know, he talks about America being a dream of, of Britain. And unfortunately, the more we fill out the map and the more we codify America, a lot more of this, we lose a lot of the special characteristics of it as well. Um, I was going to reread that book last year. I started to, but then I just kind of got distracted by other stuff. Um, but that is definitely a book I'm going to reread. Um, it's just such a, I don't, I don't want to say perfect book because it's sloppy, but through that sloppy, I love it. I, I, it's kind of like songs where it, I, I love the songs that are big and sloppy and keep going. Like there's these perfect tight songs that you can listen to over and over again, but I love the really ambitious stuff where even if it's not necessarily perfect, it just accomplishes so much. It just hits us a wide field. So um, I personally, I think Mason and Dixon is his best book by far. Wow. What a great list. I love Mason and Dixon. I think you're right. It is, it's so deeply personal and so funny. And so it's so different to anything else in fiction. Yeah, and it's so funny because on the service level, it sounds like it's going to be such a boring book. Like, who cares about the Pennsylvania line? <laughs> and like, but like, I think he does a really smart thing of just using that as a setup and to and to explore America. And he doesn't really focus on the line too much. So I think one of the things you said before uh, about male friendship, I think, is really, really there in Mason and Dixon because that relationship oh. between them is so strong. That's a great example. I, I, I missed that because a good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, not, not that I missed the whole friendship entirely, but like um, just that, I guess that theme across my top books of male friendship and yeah, the, the friendship between Mason and Dixon, like, <laughs> like it's such a believable friendship. Completely. Mm. <laughs> which one, which one did you relate a bit more to? Do you relate more to Dixon or relate more to Mason? I think probably Mason, um, but they're both, they're both such great characters. I think that I, you feel so sentimental towards both of them, especially towards yeah. the end. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a book I need to reread, but um, I, I was kind of like, look, like, oh, these characters are cool. Like, I'm probably the mopey Mason a bit more. <laughs> but then you have like the night, but then it's like you have the naive Dixon. Like, what was one of the first things Mason does to this? And he takes him to like a public execution just because it's going to be interesting for him to see. <laughs> mm. All right, before we wrap it up, where can we find you and watch your great videos? Yeah, so you can find me on um, just Bookshore, just youtube.com slash Bookshore. My Instagram is Bookshore underscore Ben. Um, videos I probably recommend is probably like Actors in the House. Um, definitely short rumbling. Um, oh man. Uh, probably maybe Plus as well. I, my review on Lana. Oh, my review on Laura Warholic as well. Those are just some of my um, the reviews that I feel I did the best on, even though those and those are some of my early reviews as well. So the camera quality is not that great. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting. Hey, this was great. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks once again to Ben Shaw. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BeyondZeroPod, and you can email us at BeyondTheZeroPod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week. <laughs>